Welcome to the Cultured Magazine podcast, Points of View, bringing you intimate interviews with creative leaders reflecting on their personal journeys and their visions for the future. I'm your host, Sienna Fiquette. In today's episode, I speak to Amandala Stenberg, an actor, musician, and artist. We get into how they got their start, their biggest lessons learned in their creative practice, their excitement for the upcoming Met Gala, going viral beefing with Kylie Jenner, navigating representation in Hollywood, and finding their voice early on with confidence and grace. Hi, Amanda. (laughs) Hi. Hi, sweet love. Thanks for coming in and agreeing to do the season one finale. And you are the second guest who I've been able to record with in person. So, oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Nice to see your face. And, like, I don't know, it feels just much more seamless to have these conversations, like, not over a Zoom screen. But yeah. Yeah. So, um, you've recently been traveling, working on different projects. Um, How has it been kind of settling back into? working mode and just kind of reacclimating. How has that been? Well, the work year never really stopped for me because Hollywood has such a the show must go on (laughs) mentality. So I worked on something last fall and then I worked on a slasher movie earlier this year. That's right. Yeah. So I don't know. The sets the sets haven't really paused. It's definitely been like complicated and stressful yeah. on my first production i got a false positive that ended oh, up no. shutting down the entire movie right and then we figured out that it was a false positive so we continued but yeah it's been like a weird awkward isolating set experience but i mean you know has its its silver linings and that like feels special to work and to be able to continue to be creative and work like, right during this time. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine it's just such, I mean, just to be able to do the thing that you love and to be really in it and like obviously moving really carefully, but just to, yeah, I don't know, just like be grateful for that. Like, yeah. 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 No, not everyone has been able to continue working during this time. I, so. Right. No, like I kid you not, like people, especially in different sectors of the arts, it's like I had a friend who's like, yeah, I'm a, DJ and now I'm considering becoming a nurse or like considering becoming like, you know, I don't know, something else that's like, yeah, just like has people thinking. Yeah. Um, Although the DJs don't seem like they're out of commission (laughs) at this exact moment. (laughs) They're back. DJs are back and better than ever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I I hear you on that. Um, Okay. So I just want to like take it back for a second for all the listeners, I'm sure they already know your history, but you have been acting for a very long time. Like since you were what, like 14, 13, um, 14? Well, I actually started when I was like three or four. Oh my God. I started doing commercials. Oh, oh my God. So I was in a mess of commercials. I was in McDonald's commercial, yeah. Kmart, Walmart, every Mart. I did <laughs> all the Marts. I did a commercial, yeah, for, and that was like when I was a kid, I would, you know, go to auditions after school, yeah. like pretty much every day and take time off of school here and there to shoot my commercials. And then the first movie that I was in, I was 11. Yeah. And it was an assassin movie. Um, is this Colombiana? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. This is a classic with Zoe Saldana. Come on. <laughs> you know, what's so funny is like that movie is like inexplicably beloved by black people, like pretty much only. <laughs> They rock with Colombiana. Yo, it goes hard. Like, 
That's like, yo, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was my foray into acting. Yeah. The director's name was Olivier Megaton. French dude. It was produced by Luc Besson. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, My parents died in front of me. That was kind of my main plot line mm, um right. and i had to escape to america right and, <laughs> right right and no, uh, it's the revenge tale right it's a revenge yeah. tale so you see me as like a, an 11 year old like bent on revenge deciding that i want to learn how to become an assassin <laughs> it's so i love that like that's a good plot there's <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of stunts right oh yeah yeah you yeah. had to do stunts yes i had to do what? stunts we um we trained with this guy named david bow who is like basically the originator of parkour. Oh, oh. Like he okay. coined the term parkour. Amazing. And so uh yeah, we we trained with him and I ended up like having these scenes where I was just jumping from balconies and like sliding into sewers and stuff <laughs> like that. It was fun. Well, I mean, that's intense. Like, I wouldn't expect they would have, like, a kid actor be doing all their own stunts, but I guess they had I faith mean, in you. There was also a professional stunt sure, performer. Right. Yeah. But I think the final edit ended up being, like, a mixture of, of both of us. Yeah. No, totally. And then kind of immediately following that, you did The Hunger Games, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, let me think. I might have actually messed up. I was maybe nine when I did the first movie. And then like 11. Yeah. Like 11 when I did the Hunger Games. Yeah. Yeah. Which was like. was. I love that series. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to lie. I've seen all the movies. I honestly do too. (laughs) Like, shamelessly, I love it. I I was such a huge fan of the book. Right. Exactly. Like, massive fan of the books. And I would like call my agent every single day. When I heard they were making a movie and be like, when's my audition? When's my audition? Um, oh, so you really wanted it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's I great. I was like, obsessed yeah. with the series. I'd read the books like five times. I love that. I wouldn't stop harassing the casting director. Yeah. And Wait, that's she, amazing. she yeah. like actually really got on my side, the casting director, because she saw how much I loved it and yeah. how much I wanted to be a part of it and, and believed in me for it. Yeah. And she told me for the second call back to show up like covered in mud <laughs> um and like in character and fully dresses the character she was like all right you want this babe like let me give you a little tip come in character and so i did <laughs> you're, so you're like okay got the mud <laughs> yeah i like rolled around in my backyard um the the second callback was at the director's house and all of his furniture was like suede so I, like, have this memory of, like, being covered in mud, like, tracking dirt through the oh house and, like, sitting on this stool, like, afraid I was going to stain his furniture or something. But it's like, you got the role, so. Yeah. It worked. I remember in the audition, like, honestly, the thing that maybe got me the role is there's this line that Rue says where she's like, you want me for an ally? And... I didn't understand that the word is ally. I thought it was alley. <laughs> so I remember going, you want me for an alley? And <laughs> That's so cute. like the director and the, and the casting director, like busting out laughing, like, laughing what? and me being like, but what did I do? And then being like, it's ally. And oh then they're like, God. okay, go, go for it again. And I again went, you want me for an alley? And they like couldn't <laughs> stop laughing at me. And I was like giggling and confused. Oh, because you had rehearsed it like that. Yes, or exactly. You, you could, your brain couldn't like unlink couldn't make it. The switch. Yeah. yeah, and I think I was so nervous. You know, <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Um, 
But hey. But hey. <laughs> Wait, I love that's so amazing to know one that you were deeply a fan. So it's not like you're like, okay, what's this thing? You knew it. You read the books, you were immersed in it and yeah, wait, that's cool. That's really special. Yeah, because yeah. the books were like so huge at that point in time. Exactly. And yeah. I remember everyone in my class reading it and like hopping on that wave mm-hmm. and just becoming obsessed with them and everything. Yeah. Okay, amazing. Um, so you are originally from LA, mm-hmm. correct? Okay. Yes. And so I, I want to hear kind of like what was that upbringing like, you know, living in LA, going on auditions. Um, I'm sure your family was a big part of like protecting you and making sure, you know what I mean? As a young actor, you're like, okay, everything is good, you know? Yeah, and for yeah, sure. that foundation. Well, when I was younger, um, like acting was just kind of another extracurricular that I did. Like I did ballet and tap and gymnastics. And then I also like did auditions. Um, But I don't know. I think I was, I was actually sheltered from it um, or kind of like the bullshit components of the industry. Cause my life was pretty normal growing up. Um, I grew up in South central um, Lamert park area, like right off Crenshaw uh went to regular public school and then from sixth grade to twelfth grade I went to this school called Wildwood, which is like Oh yeah, I know one Wildwood. of those artsy Los Angeles <laughs> like hyper liberal schools. <laughs> yeah. Um lots of entertainment parents. Mm-hmm. So I guess you know what? I I did not have a normal experience <laughs> in that in that regard. That's not a super normal experience. But what was cool was that I think because so many of those parents are already in entertainment, like it wasn't a big deal that I acted. And so it never like, I don't know, tripped me up or kind of became an ego thing or totally. Yeah. Right. Something. It was just like another thing that I did. And now that I'm older and I'm like interfacing with the industry, I'm glad that I started so young just because I think I have maybe a little bit of, of at least some preparation or like an idea of, what to avoid yeah, or yeah. what is false mm-hmm. or or what I don't need to be like expending my energy on. Right. No, absolutely. A so, wise lesson to learn early on, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I um, you know, I saw high school all the way through and graduated and everything. I would like dip out of school here and there for like a month or two. And then I would end up doing online school during those periods of time. Yeah. And, like trying to teach myself chemistry which went horribly (laughs) (laughs) went really horribly at moments but um hey you know (laughs) but hey yeah and I feel like you're someone who like honestly has such a good sense of themselves and confidence and I feel like that's like I admire that about you like as a person as a friend like just to see this level of like grace and confidence and like self-assured no I'm serious like because I because it's like it's like you think about you know coming of age and just growing up and like how it takes you know a lot of people quite some time to step into that you know and making good decisions being outspoken whatever um and I actually want to talk about a video a little video you created in 2015 called don't cash crop on my cornrows which I love. Um, and for folks who do not know, it uh, is largely in response to the 
mass of cultural appropriation from non-black celebrities happening in Hollywood, ju- jumping on trends of black culture. Um, you know, something we see even today, of course, like every day, actually, you know, we got TikTok. <clears throat> so basically also the video is specifically talking about the hairstyle cornrows and how people are trying to be like these box braids, 101, 15 steps to whatever, you know what I mean? And uh, at the end of the video, you ask the question, what would America be like if we loved black people as much as we love black culture, which I think is such a brilliant question. So I kind of, I'd like for you, if you would reflect on making that video, what pushed you to and revisiting that question uh, now in 2021. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> that last component. Mm. Um, well, yeah, it's really interesting how this video has like, followed me since I made it. I I actually was just in Copenhagen visiting um, my dad because I'm half Danish and um, there's an installation right now um, of an Arthur Jaffa installation Uh, and one of the pieces um, is love is the answer the or love is the answer message message. my bad (laughs) anyways uh, love is the message the message is death Um, and he incorporated that that part of the video in there the question so that was really cool to see in in person Mm. so much of an honor and so so, yeah Yeah. so wonderful to see that but um, when I made that video you know, I was a Tumblr teen. Um, I was engaged in convo. I was mad. <laughs> I was radicalizing yeah. myself um, as like teenagers do. And yeah, I was grateful to have like an online community where I could have those conversations. Um, and so that was kind of like the the priority for me when it came to school too was like somehow transmuting these conversations that I was having online over to my schoolwork or yeah, the conversations I was having with my peers or my teachers. Um, so that project actually started as a, uh, an assignment. We had an assignment for our modern U S history class, um, where we would track the history of an artifact over 10 years and then like present i think we had a few options either a video presentation or like a powerpoint um kind of explaining the history of this artifact and there was this girl in my class her name is Quinn Masterson who is a close dear friend of mine and just really smart and cool and yeah just such a grounded awesome person and we decided to pair with each other on the project and Quinn was actually the person who was like what if i did cornrows um because we had kind of been having those conversations too with each other about appropriation and you know and i was like oh my god that's an awesome idea so we compounded a bunch of research um and decided exactly what period we were going to focus on i think we decided to focus like on maybe the early to mid um 2000s until that moment um because at that time it felt like the co-opting of cornrows was really getting popular, especially in fashion. And so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we decided, I think, to focus on like, I don't know, 2006 to 2016, or I guess 2015 maybe was the year that it was. And yeah, we compiled all this research. I ended up writing kind of the the script for it and then um, performing it like in my bedroom you know with like (laughs) i think i used a dslr or something from like my film class um 
and I edited it and, you know, we submitted it. We got a great grade on it. And then I posted it on Tumblr. And honestly, it was like crickets, like no one really paid attention to the video. No one really cared about the video. But then the following summer, um, I got into an online feud with Kylie Jenner. That's right. That's right. Oh, my God. Okay. Crucial, (laughs) crucial missing information. This is like this is an essential component. So I got into this online feud with Kylie Jenner. Because I remember what I was doing was I was, procra- I was procrastinating on a chemistry paper that I needed to write. Then um, I was in New York. I was in the Bronx staying with my aunt for the summer. And I was supposed to be working on this paper. Once again, I told you chemistry did not go well. <laughs> Actually, I ended up failing chemistry. Oh. But anyways, this was, the, this was me, the moment where I was procrastinating um, from doing this paper. And I was like scrolling and I saw like Kylie Jenner had posted this picture where she was wearing cornrows, not surprising. And me and my best friend, um, who's also black, like we had really been having these conversations with each other. We also like went to a school in which we were very isolated in our experience as black people. Cause there were not many kids of color there. Right. And so we were kind of like, release that or express that by you know like sending each other posts on instagram and being like oh look at this shit um so i tagged her i tagged her and i said lol when you when you what what did i say (laughs) what did i say i said um when you um appropriate uh black culture and black hair but fail to use your position of power to direct attention towards issues that affect black people like police brutality and all you do is try to advertise your wigs like hashtag white girls do it better and this was just me mouthing off to my best friend you know being like lol girl look at this post uh but I wasn't thinking about the fact that people like pay attention to what I write like they don't I wasn't thinking about the fact people are like at that point, especially, they had the you know the option on Instagram where you could see what people were commenting right, on. Right. So that me- that comment ended up going viral, and then she clapped back, and she said something along the lines of like, "Mad if I do, mad if I don't. Go hang with Jaden or something." <gasps> Because I think Jaden used to be her man's, and I was friends with Jaden at the time, but she might have, I don't know, assumed that there was something romantic going on between us, which there wasn't, but she decided to take it there, which I'm like, all right, girl, like, <laughs> where this is deeper than that, but she she just had to go ahead and take it there. Um, okay, let me wrap this all up and tie it together because I'm really taking us there. So basically, she said that comment. I remember sitting in my aunt's apartment. My mom had been out for the day. I remember her busting through the door and being like, Amanda, what did you do? Oh, no. Because I had been sitting in the apartment all day. I was supposed to be doing my chemistry paper, but instead I got into this online feud and it was going viral. Um, and, And so I decided, you know what? She really responded on some petty shit like this is a lot deeper than that and i'm gonna capitalize on this moment so i ended up writing this essay this mini essay about kind of the the fetishization the demonization the appropriation of black women 
and and that in comparison to how white women are viewed and i posted it on instagram and then there was like a lot of response to that and i was like let me ride this out hold up let me reblog that video that i made about appropriation so i reblogged the video and then like boom as soon as i reblogged it it just the views skyrocketed it started being yeah just circulated everywhere yeah wow and yeah (laughs) <laughs> the power of an opinion and the internet oh <laughs> uh, yes yeah well, you know at that point i think those conversations were kind of just starting to be had like on a on a larger and scale so important you know like i feel like this is what i'm talking about the the bravery in knowing like this is like whack like this is weird this is not cool like you know what I mean? And to be able to vocalize that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I definitely was like felt safe and comfortable doing that and was passionate about doing that, especially because of the online community that mm-hmm. I already had. And the fact that like that was becoming normalized. Yeah. Like having those conversations and being vocal. Right. And how do I feel about it now? <laughs> I don't know. This is interesting. I mean. You know, I just came back from Copenhagen. The conversation about appropriation in Copenhagen is not meeting the conversation that we're having here in the States. I feel like at least in my immediate community, and that is a bubble, you know, um, and I don't necessarily like interface with other communities that much. But I feel like appropriation is, is pretty much deemed unacceptable. Yeah. At this point, yeah. like if if you're caught as a white girl with box braids, at least in the people I'm interacting with, it's like, what are you doing? Right. So I don't know. I feel like that conversation has advanced a lot yeah. and has become like something that people are generally aware of. Yeah, I super agree. Yeah. Well, thanks for contributing to making that more accessible. Like you're you're right. Like <laughs> the conversation has been like opened up like you know like more and more people like all right let's let's learn let's go to kimberly crenshaw let's understand like many multiple things you know what i mean like yeah yeah also i feel like the kids are really vigilant Mm, mm. like i don't am i technically gen z i don't know i'm like (laughs) maybe a millennial i'm not sure but the Gen Zers, like the young gen Zers, are very vigilant yeah yeah like i feel like with them it's it's kind of a given, like, no, you don't culturally appropriate. Like, yes, it's okay to be gay. In fact, it's not even okay. It's cool. We're all gay. Like, I don't know. I I like them. Yeah, no facts. It's true. It's like, there's just, it's just like a different consciousness almost, Mm -hmm. or like how we, yeah, maybe education and probably just advent of the internet also being able to like learn so just like, boom, it's a Google search away or like whatever, like research. So this kind of falls into the next thing I wrote. So you're on many, many lists from time to days about, you know, being named kind of a voice of your generation and a very influential young person with all these awards and accolades. Like, how does that you kind of spoke to this already, but like, how does that make you feel being, you know, a role model to many people and having, you know, such a. Uh, like a power to influence and inform people like you already did that you know talking about this example but just like how does that feel like knowing you are a role model to so many people (laughs) well 
I think that I am well aware of the privilege that I have in having a platform and the power that that holds Mm -hmm. in terms of utilizing it to direct it towards things that matter to me. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully to others. I don't know if, you know, even when I was younger, I don't think I ever set out to try to be uh, a role model or even an activist or, you know, any of those phrases or (laughs) terms. Um, And I, I, as I like reflect, especially on that period of time where like that video came out and everything, I feel like the media was very quick to kind of almost like thirstily put this label on me as an activist. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, now do I consider myself an activist? No, I mean, I, I'm not really doing organizational work. I'm not on the front lines for the most part. I mean, yeah, I attend protests, but am I like contributing my energy in my life towards like infrastructural change? Like, no, I'm in entertainment. Like, I'm in Hollywood. You know, am I going to try to use the power of storytelling to direct attention towards like things that matter to me? Like, yeah, of course, you know. That's what makes my career feel worthwhile and meaningful to me and where I feel like I can also most authentically be myself and like show up as an artist. So uh, I don't know if if it would do me good to fixate too much on like being a role model or an activist when, you know, for better or for worse, when I was younger, that was kind of something that was projected onto me while I was still kind of a, a kid, right, yeah. you know, I was still a minor, still still a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for all of those of those labels to be projected on me, I don't something that I'm, I'm still kind of processing. But I think that, you know, it came out of like a need, like yeah. a place of yeah. need. I think like at, at that point in time maybe the media or older generations who are controlling the media or whatever it might be were kind of like needed these young pariahs (laughs) or something in order to feel like there was hope for like the sustainability of the world. Um, And I think that's kind of a strange or premature thing to do to kids, Um, you know, like to, to expect them to kind of have this formulated political voice while they're still discovering who they are, you know? Yeah, fully. But I feel like now it's like everyone can kind of fill that role. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, learning how to move with like radical care and like be a decent human being and like recenter the right voices. And I don't know if doing that work, which is hopefully work that everyone is doing, makes you an activist. I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's up to you to decide how you want to (laughs) self-identify. But I don't necessarily consider myself that way. I Mm -hmm. think I think of myself as like. An artist and a storyteller who's not trying to make shitty bullshit that doesn't do any good for the world. Yeah. No, I yeah. I love I love everything you just said. I think one, the thing about like that title being projected onto you is so real. Like just like people are like, okay, activists, da 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 and they like wanna make it into this thing, even though you are doing work that like aligns with that, but like being really humble and honest about like what you're trying to do as an artist, what stories feel most pertinent to tell, like what, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's, you said it so perfectly kind of continuing in this ethos of like (sighs) representation at large and trying to like 
I don't know, push back against old Hollywood traditions of like what stories get to be told. I don't know. I feel like, okay, you also identify as non-binary, correct? Mm -hmm. So as a queer actor and an actor of color, how do you find that you like navigate roles? Do you find you get boxed into roles based on gender, race, sexuality? Do you find that happening or is there you know, really like support and care from either like your agent or whoever who's like, these are actually the right roles. I'm like, these are interesting roles. So how do you, how do you protect yourself while navigating opportunity within your field? Sure. Um, well, I think even me like, um, having full autonomy as an actor is, is pretty recent because making that transition between like a child actor and an adult professional actor, not that child actors are not professionals, no, but, no, 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 no. but um, making making that transition is pretty awkward. So, like, when I was younger, even a teenager, even, like, my late teenage years, I think I very much was kind of being boxed and controlled by the industry. A lot of the choices that, that, that were being made, I, I was not an active part of. My agents were picking roles for me. I was kind of just going along this path that was like you have to do this in order to mm. to be well known to be popular to to achieve your goals you and and I kind of like as I got older was like wait a second are are these my goals um right. once I was like you know autonomous enough as a as a human being to like start considering those things yeah. and so once I reached that point I was like, oh, we got this all twisted. I really need to be making all my own decisions. And especially if I'm going to be somebody who tries to move with with an intentionality around, you know, representation or race or gender or sexuality or whatever it may be, then all these choices really deeply need to reflect that. So I got to a point where I like fired everybody on my team which was like mostly comprised of white men. <laughs> and then I uh, I rehired like women of color. Yeah. And so now my team is like queer people, women, women of color. Yeah. No no white cis dudes on on my team, thankfully. And yeah, that gave me a lot of freedom and now it's so much less often that I'm even having to engage on something that I feel like doesn't intrinsically reflect me because my team just knows not to bring that to me <laughs> they're like it'll be a waste of time for everyone involved right. so they're not going to bring me you know transformers eight or whatever it may be they're they're only going to bring me stuff that hopefully is it was is in with within my world kind of my world culturally and mm -hmm. emotionally and politically and yeah. all that so i don't know when it comes to representation i don't I don't know. Okay, when it comes to representation for women of color, I feel like my role in that conversation is kind of done at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't need to be centered in that conversation because we got a whole lot of light skins up in the media and uh, that's not, I don't need to be centered there. Like if there ever was a moment in which me as an actress could, be a part of that conversation i feel like that moment has passed like, i feel like that moment was maybe you know um six or seven years ago right. 
And at this point in time, like it needs to be heading into different directions and expanding and and not centering light skinned actresses anymore. So, yeah, when it comes to queer representation, I'm really excited because I just played my first gay character. So um, that's going to be really cool and fun to see. Um, when that's all edited and finished, um, I'm like thirsty to play gay people. <laughs> so thirsty. Um, and it's happening. It's yeah. happening. But, you know, it's only really within the last few years mm-hmm. that I've even seen queer media mm-hmm. um, coming through my inbox. Mm-hmm. Like, and now it seems like. It's starting to become a bit of a plethora. Like, it seems like maybe lesbians are starting to get really trendy now. Uh, (laughs) um, So that's great. I just have to figure out how to engage with it in a way that's not, like, destroying and selling my soul. But but I am really happy and gratified to to play gay people. It's, like, starting to become a little grating to continue playing straight people like at first it was kind of like okay i'm just and then as i've become more and more myself as a queer person um it's like ooh, it's no it's like it like versus like okay kind of cute then it was like all right this is kind of annoying now it's like when i'm playing a straight person i'm like Mm-mm. You're like crossing out the lines, like maybe this, like, right? Yeah, exactly. Or I'm just like trying to make all my characters gay, and the writers and the directors are like, uh, maybe, okay, I don't know. Secret subplot. Like. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I hear that. I think, or what? What's the last role or something you saw that you were like, wow, this is fantastic. This is good character building. This is a good role or like, this is a good film in, in, in its entirety. Ooh. <laughs> mm, that's a good question. I really love recently. Actually, it could be TV too. Cause there's some good, t- you know, like, I feel like that. Yeah, no, I'm actually really trying to think now. I know I put you on the spot. Something that has come out recently or just like, no, in ge- actually anything. Yeah, it doesn't have to be recent. I'm like, I like don't want to talk about White Lotus, do you know? Oh. <laughs> but that is what I have been watching. So. I've been watching it too. But what? No, I watched something else. Okay, I've been watching The L Word. <laughs> um, I know it's hard to think like immediately what. Yeah. I don't know. Honestly, recently I've kind of been like revisiting some of the movies that I loved as a teenager. Mm. And a lot of them have held up. Yeah. Um, yeah, Donnie Darko was my mm. one of my favorite movies when I was a teenager. So was um, Magnolia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been told to watch that stuff. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I still love both of those movies so much. And I think those characters are really well constructed. Yeah, yeah especially Magnolia, mm-hmm. which has like all the kind of ensemble, like crossover story, synchronicity, look how our lives are all entangled, yeah. like, vibe that I really love in movies. <laughs> yeah, and I ended up, like, re-watching them recently being like, I still rock with these, and then ordering the Japanese poster for both of them, and now they're, now they're both up in my room. Oh, I love that. But, yeah, I really love Paul Thomas Anderson. I love the blurred line between, like, magical realism and absurdism yeah. and drama. Like, that's kind of my favorite zone for for cinema. Mm -hmm. I love that. 
So switching gears a little bit, we're going to talk about fashion for a second. Fashion. <laughs> fashion. So fashion seems like a very big part of, I shouldn't even, like, I think of anyone's personal expression. Like, it's like. Especially uh, if you're a queer and in New York exactly, City. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> duh. Um, so, yeah, I kind of want to talk about the role of fashion in your life maybe some of your favorite looks. I also heard the, what is it? The Met Gala is like back this year. Mm-hmm. Are you going to the Met Gala? Um, okay, even better. Um, I looked up the theme for it. The theme is in America, a lexicon of fashion. So uh, delving into the modern vocabulary of American fashion. Mm-hmm. So what is what does that mean to you and what are you going to wear? Well, to me, American fashion When I hear that, I immediately think gay people and I think (laughs) black people. (laughs) Um, So my look is going to be hopefully giving some of those references. It's definitely going to be giving gender. (laughs) (laughs) Giving gender. Um, It's going to be hopefully giving some ballroom and then giving like a little bit of south la realness yes yes so yeah that's that's kind of the zone that i'm in amazing are you excited i'm super excited <laughs> yeah i have some friends going this year so it'll be oh, fun yay! i get like super freaked out and like big events like that but um i think like i'm kind of at a point where i've learned to sort of actually be myself in those spaces yeah, and like yeah. show up as me and show up all the way up as me yeah um, and so they're becoming less freaky and more fun. Yeah, that's good. But that's kind of how I feel about fashion in general. Like, similar to my career as an actress, getting dressed for, you know, premieres or events or whatever has, like, been a part of my life for a long time. And and for a while was, like, very much kind of controlled by other people. Or maybe I didn't understand that it was within my control or that, like, it can be an expression of me. I always kind of thought, okay, I have to put on these weird fancy clothes and then like pose. And that's just another part of my job. You know, some fancy clothes that someone else gives me. (laughs) And now I'm at a point where I'm like, oh, I really want to be myself. And that looks very different from what maybe has been selected for me in the past. Yeah, that's true. Um, That's true. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like at an exciting point in general, where just like in movies that I that I'm choosing, I'm also choosing like how I want to show up, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> yeah, kind of just been styling myself for like oh, the last amazing. few months, and then which feels totally different. I'm like when I'm showing up to places, I'm like, oh, I'm me, yeah. <laughs> cool. And then now I'm working with a stylist named Kyle Lou, and, oh, yeah. and yeah. Amazing, yeah, and she's uh, she's like helping build out some of this. Um, press stuff that I have coming up going on just for this musical that I was a part of and yeah Mm -hmm. I love that and I love the um the cover you recently did for is it Zero or Zero magazine? Oh yeah, Zero. Yeah. Zero, yeah. yeah, that was beautiful. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> thanks. That was really fun. Yeah. yeah, in the editorial space, I feel like there's always been alignment between me and the people that I work with. I think it's also maybe the publications that I get to engage with even like cultured for instance i I feel like myself with i feel like we have a similar vision um yeah yeah no i think that's so important to like work with right people who are are not gonna you know put you in a crazy position it's like you want to like this thing of autonomy and being like okay cool it's like 
it's seamless. It's, you know, it's not a square peg in a round hole, like trying to like <laughs> finagle in. Oh, yeah. And I feel yeah. like in the past when I've been like, <laughs> I want to be gay on the carpet, like people have been like, okay, suit and a fade. Yeah. And I'm like, wait. <laughs> You're like, hold up. <laughs> I'm like, hold up. This is not what I meant, y'all. Um, yeah. Cause also like, Queerness is so much more nebulous and like expansive than maybe like straight people can even conceptualize right, it. Yeah. So like finding that and finding the ways that I can also be like queer as fuck and like high femme is yeah, really right, fun right. too. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Not yeah, limiting myself into that that binary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really important. I think I love to hear too that like, well, up until, you know, working obviously um with Kyle, um, like you saw yourself and like you you're like, I just wanna come as myself. Like that's Yeah, so- I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired of this church. Yeah. Have you ever seen that video? No. There's like the six year old kid and like I don't know, there's a sermon happening or something in a church, and he, like, walks up to the podium and, like, leans into the mic, and he's like, I'm tired of this church! And then he, like, walks away, and the whole church, like, erupts into, like, ooh! It was one of my favorite videos. But that's me, I'm tired of this church. Um, (laughs) Oh my god. I'm just like... I don't know. I look back at things I was saying as a teenager or just have said kind of in the media throughout my life. And and so often I've been like, authenticity, authenticity, being yourself, being your true self, your true identity, not realizing the ways in which like the industry itself has kind of been constricting me or positioning me or molding me. And I'm at a point where that I just have zero interest. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, Oh, cool. I really don't have to do it this way. I can do it. However, I want to do it. Mm -hmm. So I know that you are a meme maker. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. You have the in, (laughs) you have the meme in. Yeah. So, Okay, it's like social media is like this big thing, curse, blessing, good parts, bad parts, protects, you know, you got to protect your mental health, you got to have fun, you got to, you know, now we have TikTok. What, I mean, how do you, how do you engage (laughs) with the internet? What is that space for you? (laughs) Or social media, I should say. I don't know. At this point, I think I just really enjoy shit posting. (laughs) Um, cause I just, I love to like actually engage with the people who are following right, me and a yeah. lot of them are really funny. Yeah. Um, and so I think like I used to use social media when there was, I felt like the right time and space for it yeah. as like, you know, kind of a tool and a weapon. Mm-hmm. And I still try to utilize it as a way of, of directing attention or traffic yeah. towards things that are important to me. But I think the role of social media feels different for me now. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I would rather express myself through the art that I make mm-hmm. and, like, hopefully have that speak for itself. Yeah. So there's been a lot more shit posting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I love. Like, that's for me. Like, that's what I want to see. As a as a scroller, that's what I'd like to see. Right. I'm like, this is such an absurd way that we all engage with each other. Like, I would rather make someone laugh when yeah. they're scrolling past. Yeah. I gotta have fun with it and just learn to laugh sometimes. Yeah. So... 
Another thing I want to tap into is music. Like music is also a huge part of your life as well as acting. You know, so you are a singer, songwriter, musician. I've seen you, you know, playing a little <laughs> guitar, doing a little, you know. But when did you see that? <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? I see you getting creative. Um, so I don't know. I just wanted to hear about the role of music in your life and how that feels less or more or about the same importance as um, as acting? I would say personally, it's probably the same level, if not more important to me than acting. Interesting. Yeah, music. Music is my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, I love music. I love listening to music. There's rarely a moment where I'm not listening to music. Um, I make music at this point, I would say like every week wow. I make music. Okay. Yeah. Um, like maybe once a week ish yeah. trying to do it more. Yes. I'm working on a project right now, which is exciting. Over the past few years, I've been like really learning how to songwrite yeah. and it started with working with producers, usually male producers and like, getting in sessions mm -hmm. and really trying to flex those muscles and learn more about that. And I ended up finishing a project that I was like, okay, the project's done. Mm -hmm. And then being like, oh, hold up, I don't want to put this out. Um, oh. And realizing that uh, I actually wanted to produce everything myself. And mm -hmm. so I'm on that journey now where I'm, pretty much producing out everything that I make yeah. um, and really playing and exploring in that way. Yeah. And yeah, I have a song that I'm going to release soon. So I'm excited about that. It's kind of like hyper pop. I didn't really music. expect yeah. myself to be making hyper pop, but that's just kind of where my production has gone. Besides that, I make like emo boy music. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> And yeah, I'm excited to like eventually share it with with like people who want to hear it because I know that people who follow me are definitely like, when you dropping shit, yeah, um, we want to hear it. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm excited for them to hear hear what I've been working on. But I've also wanted to give myself like as much space and freedom as possible to just play and explore and learn and grow mm -hmm. and and really develop my my skills as a musician so yeah. i haven't wanted to like put any pressure on myself or get myself in the in a situation where like i have to deliver music or i'm just like really enjoying you know playing instruments and working on logic and yeah, 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 yeah. figuring out like what my voice is when i'm really the only one in control of it um so yeah i love that what are what or who are your biggest musical influences? Oh, well, recently I kind of been in a more like seventies funk song, like okay. like Pharaoh Sanders, Alice Coltrane, and then like probably the contemporary artists that I really love are like you know Kalela, yeah. um, Nick Hakim. Yeah, yeah. And then I also listen to, like, I don't know, Ween or, like, Cleaners from Venus or, like, you know, I really, my my musical taste, like, runs the gamut. Yeah. It's pretty much every genre. Yeah. That's amazing. And, like, obviously those artists, it's just like, whoo, that's, it's so much. Yeah. It's beautiful. Like, when you first were, like, I was like, oh, what's music to you? And you're just like, I love music. I was thinking of that song. You know that song? It's like, 
It's like music is my girlfriend, music is my boyfriend, <laughs> music is my, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> like music's my. Oh, I'm sending it to you. All right, I'm like, <laughs> that was my shit in high school. So I'll send it to you. Okay, yeah, that's how I feel. <laughs> that's how you feel. That's sure. what came to my mind. Okay, so for my last question that I ask all my guests is just to tell me a secret. Secret. Ooh, la, la, la. A secret. A secret. Okay, that is hard. You can think about it for a second. Um, take your time. What is my secret? What is my secret? And also, I can say too, like some people are like, you know, it doesn't need to be something so juicy. It could be like something people, like a skill people don't know you have, or something you did as a kid, or like something, you know. Mysterious and fun. Mm-mm-mm. I don't know. Maybe my secret is, I don't know if it's so much of a secret, but I feel very much not tied to acting as my profession, like for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's something that I started doing very young <laughs> and I love to do and I'm passionate about, but I see my life heading into other terrain and territory i don't even know if it's necessarily a territory in which i'm in entertainment yeah um so that's like that's my secret (laughs) i love that what a you're like a bird that's like what a you know freeing answer like that's yeah cool you're like who knows yeah (laughs) who knows knows? maybe i'll end up working on a farm somewhere i don't know we'll see i love that i could see that cute little farmer little Kale and carrots. <laughs> Kale, carrots, <Yeah>. overall. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, well, thank you so much for being my guest, Mando. Mm. Oh, that's my other secret. Now people will know my nickname. Oh, shit. Mando. <laughs> Mando's your nickname. Mando's my nickname. the cutest one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Love you. Th- thank you for being my guest. And love you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Cultured Magazine podcast, Points of View. We look forward to bringing you exciting interviews with artists and their visions for the future every month. Thank you to the podcast team for making this happen. To our editor, Randy Chapman, our sound engineer, Lars Probert, our theme music by Color Plus, and Cultured Magazine. Cultured Magazine.